Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Lord of the Dancer Tea podcast. I'm recording it here in Leeds in my luxury bedroom uh, hotel room. For some reason I've been booked into the Malmaison. I don't understand why. Uh, we're trying to save money. My previous tour manager, George, for some reasons booked me into here and weirdly not booked himself. In fact, he was not, he's not doing it, but he booked himself into a different hotel, which means Giles the Cannibal, my current tour manager, Hopefully he'll make it to the end of the tour. He had a slight medical emergency last week. Turned out to be nothing, luckily. But feels like the tour managers on this tour are slightly cursed. Um, he has to sleep in a different hotel, which is very rarely happens. And it makes you feel like you're some snooty, especially when you're in a lovely hotel. It's like, oh, I'm a snooty act. Oh, and my tour manager's going to have to sleep elsewhere. Sorry about that. So I said on the next tour, I'm going to book him in. I can use the hotel money. and There's a certain amount of money for hotels. I'll spend, you know, maybe £180 on a hotel, get the best hotel in the town, and then I'll put him in a £20 bed and breakfast in all the hotels. I don't think it'll lead to any bitterness and seething resentment. I think it'll be fine. So uh, the tour's going well. Uh, I'm going to be taking you through, I think, the second week of April, more or less. Yes, the 13th to the 19th of April. Uh, we're a little bit behind on catching up with stuff. Uh, the big news is, I'll get this in early, uh, the DVD is being recorded on the week of uh, on that I'm, we're in. It's going to be on May the 15th at the Bloomsbury Theatre. I'm also uh, at the Bloomsbury on May the 14th if you want to come and not be at the DVD. Uh, now, we're selling quite well on the 15th. It'd be terrific if we could sell out. Um, uh, it's So if you are in London and you haven't seen the show or if you're in London and want to see the show in its new complete version uh, and we will have the full ending, um, then do come along to the Bloomsbury Theatre. Just... Google the Bloomsbury Theatre, you'll be able to find tickets easily. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's plenty of tickets left on the 14th. But it'd be nice to sell out the 15th of May if we can. And there are still 15 or so gigs to go around the country. Go to richardherring.com slash L-O-T-D-S slash tour to find out all about those. But let's have a look at what the things about the local town I said in that bit that I always do, which will give us a little look at which towns we're going to be talking about this week. I think I'm also going to talk about my holiday in Weymouth in 1983, which features um, heavily in this show, but I'll tell you some more stories uh, from that and see what else comes up. I've no, I can't remember what's going on. The first gig was St Albans, that's all I remember. Notice I'm not impressed you here in St Albans. No, that doesn't impress us in St Albans, Richard. We, uh, it takes more than that to impress us. And say, Jimmy Hill used to live in St Albans, Richard, so we are... It takes a lot more than that to impress us. In, in 1957, Panorama filmed some of the famous spaghetti tree routine that they did, the April Fool's joke, in the Pasta Foods factory on London Road. It's not there anymore, but it, they, some of that was filmed in St Albans, which is, so it takes more than that to impress us. The opening titles of Porridge, the TV show Porridge, have, feature St Albans Prison Gatehouse in the opening titles, so it takes more than that to... Queen Eleanor was in, in the, underneath the clock tower in St Albans for one day on her route to Hartford Castle for where she was going. So to take that, I've confused that with King John from France who was nearby who stayed, stayed for one day in the pub uh, on his way to Hartford Castle. So it takes more than that. I know a lot about St Albans. I, 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 I thought I should learn that. It's like a citizen test. I've got to know everything about St Albans. <laughs> Rosie Marcel from Holby City lives lives in St Albans, Richard, and you used to go out with her sister. It was crazy. So, yeah, I did. So, that is... That is true. 
and her sister, when you, this is something about St Albans, your sister, you went to Barbados on holiday in the day before you went on the holiday, her ex-fiancé, her ex-boyfriend proposed to her, and so she went to the holiday with you, even though her, her ex-boyfriend, <laughs> that's Rosie Marcel's sister, who has now gone on to write the film, uh, Miss, that film about saving Mr Banks, that was, she wrote that. Should have stayed with her, shouldn't I? Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> In Hollywood, she wrote Terra Nova. She's fucking loaded now. Uh, so, anyway, that's by the by. That's not about St. Albans, isn't it? I think about it. No, does not impress you here in Fair. No, it, it, no, it takes more than that to impress us here in Fair. You're in Fair on now, which is That is not an impressive thing. Tom Oliver, who played Lou Carpenter in Neighbours, grew up in Fair, which is so it takes more. Takes more than that to impress us. We have, in Fairham, we have the highest percentage of car ownership in the country with 537, 538.7 cars per 1,000 people we have here. I feel sorry for the bloke who has the 0.7 of the car, but that is, we have more cars than anywhere else. That's it. Takes more than that. We have the last um, steam operated brick making factory in the, in the country here in Fairham, so it takes more. I know a lot about Fairham, I've been here for two and a half hours, so it's, it's in time. Our coffee shops, they say they're going to close at 5.30. No, they just say, well, it's 5.15, who's going to want a coffee at this time? It's nearly bedtime in Fairham, come on, grow up. No, does that not impress you in Worry? No, no that, does, that doesn't impress us here in Worry, it takes more than that to impress us. In Worthing, Richard, Dave Benson Phillips lives in Worthing. It's, I, I, it takes a lot more than an old woman kissing a child to him. We have the country's largest uh, manufacturer of professional oboes in, in Worthing, Richard. It's called Howarths of London. I mean, they're ashamed of being from Worthing. They pretend they're from London. But they, they, Jane Austen lived in Worthing, Richard, for one month in 1805. That is, is it takes more than that. We had a, we've got a knucker hole on Ham Bridge, on Ham Road, there's a knucker hole there where a mythical beast lived. You don't even know about it yourself, do you? That is, that's, that's a knucker hole. We believe in knuckers in Worthing, <laughs> So it takes more than that to impress us. Well, no, does that impress you here in New Milton? That, that doesn't impress us, Richard, and three centuries with two kisses. We're from New Milton. It takes more than that to impress us. We've got uh, Sammy Miller's Motorcycle Museum in New Milton. So it takes time. Like, dude, I like motorcycling. I do motorcycling around. That's what I like. Uh, I've got a bigger laugh than I expected. So it's self-referential. So it takes more than that to impress us, Richard. Um, uh, or Julian uh, Clegg, the, uh, the host of the interactive most, um, the Murder Hunt Live, is from New Milton, Richard. So it takes more than that. We all know him, right? He's a radio, BBC radio presenter. Julian Clegg, do you know him? He's from New Milton, so that takes more than that to impress. There was a bank robbery on Thursday in New Milton, Richard, where a significant amount of money was stolen. More than £47 was stolen, <laughs> leaving the bank with only £7 in it now. So it takes more than that to impress us here. Rumour is from New Milton, Richard. Rumour that it's John Prescott's... No, does that not impress you here in Portsmouth? No, it's... It takes more than that to impress us here in Portsmouth. Marcus Patrick from Hollyoaks is from Portsmouth, so it takes, it takes more than that. It's an impressive city. Fanny Price from Mansfield Park, she lived in Portsmouth. 
and Smike and Nicholas Nickleby from Nickleby went to Portsmouth to join and most those last two both fictional things, but they still happen. The HMS Pinafore is set in Portsmouth Harbour, that's another fictional thing. That did not, that one didn't happen. In 2006, Portsmouth had more rapes and sexual assaults than anywhere else in the country, so it takes more, it takes more than that to impress us. It was just you, was it? They may just let you out. It's the, uh... Hooray, just for time to come and see my show. I, I impress, it impress. No, no, even that does not impress you. That does not impress us, Richard, the last person convicted under the uh, Witchcraft Art Act of 1795 was arrested in Portsmouth. Genuinely, in about 1950, seriously, there was the, the last witch. Lizzie, I'm not making this up. Her name was Helen Duncan. That happened in Portsmouth. Is a witch, arrest her. You know it's the 20th century. Yes, I do know that. But I am from Portsmouth. So that was where we went in this week in April that we're discussing uh, this time around. Uh, starting in St Albans, where I, I'm thinking of moving to St Albans. So that is a very exciting development. I think my wife and child are going to come with me, I hope. Um, so uh, we'd been looking around just to see if we liked the city on this day. Um, and uh, we, we did quite like it, but we'll see if we feel like moving. It's not, it's not going to happen imminently, I don't think. But it's a possibility, because that's what happens when you get married and have a child. You move out of London to escape all the danger. You'll understand when, you, when you've got kids, you'll understand. God, I used to hate it when people said that to me, and I hate it when I say it. Anyway, uh, it was quite a fun little gig. It was in a tiny little room. I was doing it as a kind of favour to a mate because I was in town. Anyway, uh, and there's uh, just a little tiny, slightly grotty room in the back of a pub. Um, oh, actually, just before the gig, I uh, I really need to go to the toilet because we've been in town all the time, and I did, a, I did a poo in the toilet, and it was so bad that the man who came into the toilet next went, Oh, God, what's that awful smell? Uh, and I just explained to him it was a toilet and that so that kind of thing did happen but it was it was noticeably bad and it permeated the pub slightly for a little while <laughs> so if you came to that gig that's what was happening um so there was some various little bits of fun with the audience uh, but the best bit for a uh, fun came when I discovered uh, that Toploader were playing the gig in a couple of weeks in this very venue they were they were coming here to do uh, a show, uh, and uh, I didn't know that until the interval, so I'd, I'd do a joke about Top Loader in the first half of the show, and then the guy running the gig told me all about Top Loader coming to see the, coming to play that room, so this is what happened at the beginning of the second half after he told the audience that, just as he brought me on. Thank you very much. No, now I feel, now I feel bad, if I'd known Top Loader would... If I'd known they were playing a shithole like this, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have taken the piss out of them. That is, that is kicking people while they're down. Oh no, hold on. And, uh... But that was more or less all that happened in St Albans, apart from me doing a smelly poo. Shocked a man. Even in a toilet, it shocked a man by how bad it smelled. But you know, what can I do? I'm only a human being, I have to poo. The next day, I went to Fairham, and like, as I mentioned in this opening bit of the show, I've done a couple of gigs there in the last five years where I've turned up like after the show time is meant to begin. That's very rare just because of traffic. I've uh, been really caught up and in trouble. But this time, me and Luca, who was uh, my tour manager this week, um, I managed to get there way too early. So I went into town 
to try and get a Wi-Fi signal because we didn't have one uh, in didn't have Wi-Fi in the in the theatre. So just a little fact for you. Um, so this is what happened at the start of that show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance City. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. There was a double curtain. You got to see me first. Hello, lovely to be back in Fairham. How are you doing? Yes, good to be here. Got here quite early this time, and I've been quite late a couple of times. If you've been here before, like after the show was meant to begin. Uh, but I was here at five o'clock today, so I was in good time. Went to into town to get a coffee. Went, went to a coffee shop at 5.15, presumably closed at 5.30. Uh, and then I said, are you still open? They said, well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> and I said, could I have a cappuccino? And they said, well, we've just closed down the coffee machine. So I thought, that's good. Yeah, that's... So I had to go to Cafe Nero. I was trying to help out your local coffee shops, but it's all going to Ian Nero from Cafe Nero. I've had, uh, I've had quite a good day as well. I've uh, stabbed my hand... Uh, my mother-in-law's been staying, helping out of the house, and um, she, uh, I usually load the dishwasher, right? That's, the man, that's a man's job, right? We all know that. Uh, and she puts uh, a knife in the dishwasher's face with the spike up. You can't do that, can you? Well, you know, there's a whole school of argument in there because it makes, will the knife get clean? This isn't the show yet, I'm just having a chat at the beginning. <laughs> having a chat first then we'll get into the show start, start relaxed uh, you know because if it's down then does it get clean and also if you put it down she said well maybe that'll stab through the eventually is that what you say yeah you're wrong mate look at that that's the, that's the, that's the most inconvenient place to get stabbed so anyway uh, luckily I don't use this hand uh, for, for that so um not unless yeah, I want to feel like someone else is doing it. So, um, but I'm married, so I don't need to do that. Oh, oh yeah, I do. Okay, so I've been married for three years. I do have to do that. And funny enough, the incident I mentioned there about stabbing my hand, uh, I had a little plaster on there. It hurt quite badly. Uh, did make it into a metro column, which I will read out for you if you missed that one. If you heard it already, well, you know. Go somewhere else, bad luck. I have a knack of writing fictional things that come true. In my yet as um, in my as yet unpublished and also unwritten novel about the afterlife, I've wasted my life. The protagonist dies by tripping over in the kitchen and landing on a large kitchen knife that is in the cutlery section of the dishwasher, sticking point upwards. Unlike my unlucky fictional hero, I'm very careful to not put cutlery pointy side up, partly for fear of death, and partly because then you don't get your mucky paw prints all over them as you remove them. Others, of course, argue that the cutlery doesn't get as clean if you put them in that way, but they are idiots. I actually prefer to wash my good knives by hand, as the dishwasher can crack the handles, though others maintain that you're in more danger of blunting your knives in the sink. Again, why don't those others shut up and learn from the dishwasher expert? I'm not right about much, but I'm right about everything concerning dishwashers. People feel surprisingly strongly about this. It's strange that people fight wars over whether Jesus is literally in some bread or not, but no one launches stealth bombers about incorrect dishwasher etiquette. It's much more contentious, and dishwashers are definitely real. So obviously I didn't trip and fall on a knife and die this week, or did I? Ooh, ooh, I am a ghost. No, I didn't. But as I reached to put something in the dishwasher, I felt a sharp pain in my hand. I'd speared my palm on a steak knife that was pointing out of the cutlery compartment. How? Why? Why, God? Why? 
I was initially unsure about how bad the damage was. There was a bit of blood and it really hurt, but I was mainly surprised and confused. I'm in charge of the dishwasher. I don't put sharp knives in there. And even I did, which I don't, I would put them point down. My mother-in-law's been round helping out with our granddaughter and had kindly done some tidying in the kitchen. Unbeknownst to me, she's a point-up kind of woman. What have I married into? And how did the family keep such things from me? She witnessed the spearing and among my many polite don't worries and I'm fines, I did manage to indignantly point out, we don't put those knives in there. I told her I put the knives point down if they end up in the dishwasher at all, which they don't. But she argued that she puts them point up because otherwise there's a danger they'll damage the cutlery holder. What a ridiculous thing to say. I don't want to come over all Katie Hopkins, who does, but I think people like this should be deported or worse. Luckily, the damage to my hand was minimal and the pain subsided. I didn't even cry and I survived. It would have been ironic if I had died as I'd just finished a meeting with a solicitor who's going to draw up my will. If I'd caught my wrist, I might have bled to death and died intestate. And no one wants to die without their testates, which is another reason to put your knives point downwards, especially if you make breakfast in your dressing gown. There we go, some dishwasher-based humour for you to uh, punctuate this Ferrum gig. And the other fun thing about the Ferrum gig was as I walked in, there was a big poster advertising the Cliff Richard Experience, a tribute act to Cliff Richard, uh, which uh, I do do a little bit in the show about Cliff Richard, which I can't really discuss in the public arena, but uh, I uh, these the it's a massive poster for you, for you saying Cliff Richard the ultimate Cliff Richard tribute experience, and my mind boggled a little bit about wondering what exactly that might involve and whether you should take your children to that or not. Uh, I also think Simon Goodall, who does Cliff, uh, might be wise to get in as many gigs as he can as possible as soon as possible. It's just a hunch. Uh, why do none of these celebrities think about their lookalikes before they? get embroiled in all this stuff? Or do they behave the way they do deliberately to scupper the parasitic careers of their lookalikes? I know I resent Charlie Borman for stealing my herring shoes work. He does an advert for herring shoes, which, and he looks like me. Revenge is a, be a dish best served with you in mind. And that is you, spelled Y-E-W. So think on. Uh, so before we crack on uh, talking about the other gigs in this little run, um, I'll quickly talk about uh, the... Holiday in Weymouth, which features a couple of times in the show. After I finished my O-levels, me and my friends, uh, to celebrate in 1983, we went to for camping in, in Weymouth. Uh, and uh, it was very exciting to be away from home, probably one of the first times as a group of young lads, uh, and to have the freedom to run around. I kind of think there might be some sort of TV play in this idea, actually, because it was, it was sort of an interesting time, because I was I, I, me and my friends... I think when you get to those sort of teenage years, we've been friends since uh, since middle school, so I've known most of them since I was eight or nine, and uh, we've been very close friends. We shared a very similar sense of humour, and uh, a lot of the comedy that uh, I've done and the, uh, the ethos behind it came from them, from Steve Cheek, who's now a professor in Bristol University. He had very strong ideas about comedy, uh, and we really all loved Monty Python and the Young Ones and that sort of thing. But as we got into our teenage years, and I think you become a bit more becomes a bit more of a competition, a bit more ego gets involved, and we sort of started slightly falling out, and I was quite an annoying teenager and young adult, uh, and always trying to be funny, uh, and they all got into punk, and I wasn't really into punk, if I'm honest about it. You can see, read my play, Punk's Not Dead, if you want to find out more about that. Uh, so it was that kind of interesting challenges and the little fights for predominance within the group, uh, and I remember being quite miserable on this holiday as I was throughout most of my life because uh, 
uh, I was insecure and, and worried and, and sort of the friendships were starting to fracture a little bit. But, but then you look back at it and you think what an amazing uh, time it was. And there was a bit that I did in the show that got cut out, which again was when the show was more about dance and the theme really was dance and there was lots more theme, uh, show, bits about dance. They all turned out to be a bit serious. But um, one day, to just to fill time, I mean, as I say in the show, we were very bored. We had a week to kill. We didn't have that much money. We were in a little seaside town out of season as well, I think, really. It must have been. Uh, or just before the season really kicked in. And um, we were just trying to fill time. And we discovered, we got, we discovered if you kind of got a can of Coke or soft drink and you ripped it apart sort of sideways rather than you got you got like basically two little metal shard maracas that you could knock together and make a sound quite dangerous because there was spikes of metal coming out from where you'd ripped the can in half uh, and uh, but then we would we sort of started knocking those together as a percussion instrument and dancing to them and then we started to, to fill time and just because we were show-offs we uh, started busking on the on the seafront with uh Doing that, I think we started. We sang "Wild Thing," I remember, and we just did a thing where we played the maracas and danced around. And I think we genuinely, you know, we did try and get money, and I think we might have made about sixty pence. Um, which in the play, "Punk's Not Dead," one of the cats goes, "Oh, nice enough to buy a Mars bar each," which was nice. Uh, and uh, so that was that was one of the things we did busking, and also in the in the show, I do mention uh, we went to see Ted Rogers and decided to heckle Ted Rogers from Three Two One, which was. Uh, Quite an experience, and again, obviously, in hindsight, now I'm a professional comedian and a middle-aged professional comedian playing often quite empty theatres in provincial towns. Our hubris and our arrogance has come back to bite me on the arse a little bit, but that's partly what that routine's about. And there is also this long routine about uh, us eating chicken and chips in the same fried chicken chop every meal, uh, which uh, with Dave Manager behind the counter, which again is another true story. From that time, my other favourite story from from that we we did um, we started doing uh, jokes, which I I did do them at college, and I think I did them at the Ted Chippington uh, tribute show because it was one of the one of the routines I did at university, and the end came out of this. Um, we we this we we started doing anti jokes, which I think a lot of teenagers do. Some of us carry that on into our forties, still doing those anti jokes, uh, but we thought we were clever enough to to uh, see through how jokes worked. And for some reason, the the format of the joke became. Uh, we did a did the Jamaica joke basically, but the format became one of us going, "Did your wife go on holiday last year? Yes. Where did she go to? Jamaica? No, I didn't make her go. She is uh, equal rights. We have been. She's a feminist, and so we we both take equal shares of the washing up duties. And I cannot make her do anything she doesn't want to do. So we're doing that, and just doing different places endlessly all night long and just laughing. Um, and uh, into the early hours of the morning, just making a hell of a lot of noise in a tent. Uh, and uh, uh, we bought, we got some bottles of cider we managed to get from an off-license. And we were all wearing the plaster paper bags that we'd got the cider in in our heads, looking like sort of Smurfs or something. I don't know what we were doing. And I remember Steve Cheek, was doing something where he was pretending to be the son of Satan uh, and screaming at us at four o'clock in the morning. And uh, and after having done these jokes, I endlessly over and over again. And then there's this furious thumping on the top of our tent and a French man shouted, you can keep your bloody sheety mouths closed, which um, obviously was slightly scary, but also made us silently laugh. It did shut us up. 
because we were worried that this Frenchman might come in and beat the shit out of us. But also for the rest of my life, if I, certainly Phil Fry or any of my friends from that holiday, if I said to them, you can keep your bloody shitty mouths closed, they would they would laugh at that. It's just like, and it, similarly, we all went to see a soft porn film called The Other Cinderella, which was on a double bill with Kentucky Fried Movie, and we'd snuck in when we were 14 and pretended we were doing something else, and somehow we'd, well, we got in, the, the people at the Odeon Wells didn't care who came in as long as they got their money, and uh, during this soft porn film, there were some girls kissing each other, uh, and a man, probably a boy really, at the back of the theatre, but we thought he was a man, shouted out, pert nipples! At, uh, which was true, the woman had quite pert nipples uh, in this particular film, and everyone laughed, and I can shout pert nipples to any of my friends, and they will get the reference, of course, and so now will you, if you want to join in with that. But uh, it was kind of, it was a, you know, it was an interesting time, that time when you're, when you're 16, and you're still a child, and... You know, but then you're getting this freedom, but also you sort of start slightly starting to get your independence and fall out with your friends. And you know, I wasn't very good at that group because I wasn't interested in pop music, as I discussed in the show, and I was more interested in comedy because uh, I was a bit annoying with that. It, I, you know, I think it, this little rift started opening up in our teenage years between me and some of my friends. We're still all friends now, but it was never quite the same again with some of us uh, after this couple of years as teenagers. I'm still very good friends with Phil Fry, who I see every now and again, and uh, and a lot of the others as well. But it's uh, it, it was kind of an odd, odd little time. But there we go. So that's a little story of me going to Weymouth. A little bit more background to that, and maybe one day I will turn that into some kind of charming short film, nostalgically looking back at the 1980s and being young. And the next day, I was in Worthing. Um, these gigs were kind of going okay. I'd been getting 100 or so in, I think, to both of those previous two from memory. They're both quite small gigs. Worthing was a bit of a bigger theatre, and a couple of hundred people had come, which was great, because it was not a town that I remember playing before. I think we might have done it as Lee and Herring, but I hadn't been there before, so I was very pleased with that. And it was a beautiful theatre. Um, but the start of the show was a bit eggy, uh, as you'll hear here. I'll give you the full thing to see the panic and unpleasantness. Uh, as uh, the first of all, there was a little announcement about mobile phones, which doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, but obviously, that's meant to be then followed by the start of the show. But the something went wrong with the CD, and then let's see what happened after that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance Seti, it's Richard Herring! Is that on? <laughs> Thank you very much! Did you hear me back then? I couldn't work it, no. No, that worked quite well, apart from the CD not coming in and the mic not being on, that was, the, that was a brilliant opening! The uh, the uh, the warm up act, warm up act was good. The one in the bloke with the uh, 
the mobile phone routine. That is my warm-up act. He comes with me everywhere. Turn off your mobile phones. Not very good, is he? No. Okay, well, let's move on. So not only did everything go wrong technically, my intro wasn't heard uh, and the CD didn't come in in time, but also that joke fell flat on its ass, didn't it? Which is always a slight worry right at the start of a show. Are they going to like me? Have I, I've tried to ad-lib something. It fucked up. You know, not many comedians would share that with you. It wasn't a very good joke. It deserved what it got. And the weird thing was when I got to uh, Worthing Theatre, a very nice uh, theatre manager was showing me to my dressing room, was very helpful. Uh, and then uh, then she said, and we got to the dressing room, she said, do you want the details of the dentists and doctors now? Uh, I was a bit confused. She said, your rider said you need details of local emergency doctors and dentists and masseurs. Uh, we thought it was a bit odd, but sometimes comedians want local info for their acts, so we've made a list. I've no idea that my rider said this, though, to be honest, I think my rather over-fastidious original tour manager, George, had put a lot of stuff on there I didn't need or indeed want. I can only assume whoever put that on there was thinking about health and safety and trying to prepare for the unlikely event that I might be suddenly taken ill, or the unlikely event that I might suddenly get toothache, or the even unlikelier event that I might require an emergency massage. None of these things have happened in the 20 years of touring I've done. I'd imagine if they did that it would take one phone call or a visit to Google to find out what I required. So I was a bit embarrassed that the staff had unnecessarily collated a list for me. I don't know if it should take it out and attempt to incorporate it. I don't know if I should take it out and attempt to incorporate it into the show or whether I should just eat some raw seafood, punch myself in the mouth and then bend my back out of shape so I could use them. Or had someone had a premonition, I would be especially clumsy today and got all this stuff ready. Was the theatre manager actually Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap? And Ziggy had told her there was an 8% chance of a head and knee injury at some point today. Because if this request had been on my ride of the whole tour, then Worthing Theatre was the first place that was bothered to find out the information for me. As glad as I am that no one else wasted their time. What the fuck, guys? It was on the fucking rider. Where's my list of masseuses in Farnham and emergency dentists in Chorley? You lazy fuckers. I'm sure this incident made me look like an eccentric and insane diva. It's worse than colour requests for M&Ms, but the theatre manager laughed it off. If she was annoyed by me seemingly treating her time as if it was pig excrement to me, she certainly didn't show it. Otherwise, in this gig, I was a bit obsessed with the oboe factory that uh, I'd mentioned in the facts about Worthing. Uh, that that kind of interested me. Uh, so that did make a recurrence when I was talking about sombrero manufacturers in one of the routines. I then did this little ad lib. Uh, so that should be your next biggest business, oboe manufacturer. Oh, they've got the biggest oboe manufacturing. Is it the only oboe manufacturing? Yes, it is. Uh, but it's the biggest thing. We make over three oboes a year in Worthy. And after riffing quite heavily at the end of the International Women's Day routine, which I won't put in because some of it has made it into the future shows, uh, I slightly deconstructed that, but then did a little more of a riff on my drink and piss style thing. Uh, and in this clip, you also get a funny a joke from my theatre manager and from my tour manager, Luca, comes into this one, which will make sense to you if you've been listening carefully. So, uh... <laughs> so I just add a bit to that every night and uh, yeah, it mainly amuses me uh, because you haven't, if you'd seen this show 150 times like I have, you'd have loved that bit but I was, that was the best bit of the first half for me, just to be aware I carried on too long on that uh, so uh, we come up to an interval it's, uh, you can go and have a drink or a wee if you like, or uh, you know, do what you like I don't, I'm not telling you, don't drink wee I mean you can if you, if you want to, you can if, if someone else does a wee and says, drink that, and you go, I would like to drink that, go ahead. I can't tell you what to do. I would advise against it, unless you know them very well. 
Uh, and there's a lot of men in Worthing who just go around with diseased wee and get women to drink it, because I do be careful. Again, this doesn't usually happen, this bit, I have to say, so I'm sorry. It's, I don't, it's all being directed at you like you would drink wee, and I'm sure that you've done that once or twice, twice maximum. It's worth doing it a second. I'm going, well, I didn't like it the first time. Maybe that guy just had unusual wee. So I'll, I'll try it a second. Oh, no, it's just, it's just wee in general. It's not, it's not nice. Brackish. It's a brackish thing. So, uh, again, that's just a little routine, especially for you, madam. So I hope you enjoyed it. That's all right. Never happened before. It will never happen again. So uh, go and have an interval, and I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Lovely to be here again. Thank you very much. Ooh. Cheers. Good. Yeah, yeah, quite, uh, quiet. But yeah. That's you. That's you, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, it's all right. Okay. It's a bit hard to tell. They were a bit slow to get going, but it didn't help that the, uh, the announcement. No, the... Yeah, I don't. Know. No, got it all here. It's all here. It's all here. It's all good. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I would love a master. So it's a shame when the tour manager is funnier than the actual act, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, there we go. And uh, the second half of the Worthing show did not record for some reason. Uh, I seem to remember me talking about uh, an argument I'd heard outside the dressing room. There'd been a, quite a few conversations I'd heard, um, and one of them was a guy quite angry on his phone just before, just as I'd arrived. And I don't know if there was my dressing room was just by some thoroughfare, uh, but he was chatting at someone on his phone. He sounded like he wanted to punch the next person he saw for an undisclosed, though guessable reason. He said, I'm coming up there on the train right now, and if he's still there, I'll fucking kill him. What excitement. Uh, later, there was a sitcom about car parking. There's a couple asked a stranger if they could park in the car park for free after six and thought they'd been told they could, only to just find out in time that they actually couldn't. Uh, they misunderstood what was going on. It wasn't exactly my sense of humour. I preferred the scary play. I wonder if any murders happened in Worthing that night or anywhere within train commute. Um, but... Uh, there was also the fun fact that uh, John Barron, who played CJ in Reggie Perrin, used to be an assistant theatre manager in this very theatre. I wonder how much attention he paid to the riders. I didn't get where I am today by booking emergence, finding out about emergency masseuses. Yeah. So, the next day I was going to Forest Arts in New Milton. I've been there many times. I remember doing early gigs there and, and really going badly. Um, but I also had a memory of another gig I'd been there. Weirdly, it links in, links in with the story I was telling at the St Albans uh, gig about my ex-girlfriend. But there's a memory there. This is this conversation I mentioned actually happened on the phone. She wasn't with me at the time. But uh, this is uh, this is what I shared. I was oversharing this week, as I as I can't start to do by this stage of the tour. Uh, you won't believe the stuff I was sharing later uh, in the tour. But maybe you'll find out if I put it into the podcast. Who knows? It's him. No, it's me. It's okay. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, New Milton Forest Arts. How you? I love coming here. I came here in uh, two thousand and one, uh, and I was going to go on holiday with my then girlfriend the next day uh, to Barbados. Actually, it was two thousand and two, uh, and uh, we had a massive argument in the dressing room backstage and then I came out there was about 30 people here and I had the most terrible gig ever. <laughs> I went on holiday with it to Barbados. It had a very bad time. The day I got home, I found out the day that I'd been, she'd been arguing with me backstage, she'd been proposed to by her ex-boyfriend and she was ringing him all the time. 
uh, from Barbados and I was paying for those calls. So it was, I've got very happy memories of this venue. So the thing is, however well it, badly it goes tonight, it cannot be as bad as I'm sure. We'll find out. My wife rings me up and says she's divorcing me in the interval. <laughs> we will find out. So and I managed to give a little back reference to that joke as I went off for the end of the first half. Um, hope you've enjoyed the show so far. It's time for an interval. Uh, I'll go back and see what emotional turmoil happens in the dressing room <laughs> this time. Uh, so go and have a drink in a week, and I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Lovely to be back. Thank you. This is a really nice show, actually, and uh, had one of my favourite bits that's happened on the tour. It's nice when you ad-lib something, and especially when you haven't even planned to do it or even thought of it. It was very late in the show. It wasn't something I'd been planning to do, but on the drive there, we'd noticed, you know, it's the new forest you go through. It's very beautiful. Uh, and there was, the, they have horses ro sort of roaming about in the road, not in fields, which, you know, is kind of odd when you see it. And uh, as I started my penultimate really final routine in the show um that suddenly came back to me and this and then I just completely made up this mini routine about the new forest which works quite well and it's just you know it's satisfying I suppose as a comedian when that kind of thing just happens and occurs to you I hope you enjoy this little routine I went for a walk uh, in the summer with my wife we wanted to get away from the city it was nice to be out in the countryside it's like you it's all fresh air birds and all that shit isn't it You've got horses in the road, that's what I like about it. Let's yeah, put some horses in the road, yeah, let's do it. Probably can't see that would lead to any problems. Let's just put some horse, horse in the road. Should you put them in a field? No, why? Why does everyone put horses in the fields? Just let them walk on the road, that's what I can't. What's the rest of the world that are insane, not us in the new, the new forest? We're the normal. <laughs> Not dead horses and drivers. We've crashed into horses and are dead. I oh, know, yeah. It's inexplicable why that's happening. I think what we need is more horses in the road. That's the, if there's, there's too few horses in the road, that's why the accidents happen. And the final gig we're going to look at in this section is in Portsmouth. As you might have spotted, there's been a few little errors uh, made in the technical issues. There was another one in the, in the gig at the New Forest. They went to the wrong CD. And it was partly because as I think things go on, you sort of get a little bit more lackadaisical about explaining stuff. You don't sort of run it as much and check as I've been, been a bit tired, so I haven't sort of run through with stuff. Uh, and uh, in Portsmouth, loads of things went wrong again. And that was doubly annoying, really, because um, I'd, after the... New, the New Forest gig, I'd, I'd said, oh, we must run through stuff properly, and then I didn't do it at Portsmouth. I kind of assumed that they would, so it kind of went wrong at the start as well in this one. I will play this from where the house music goes out. This should then go into the CD, ready to play for the uh, for the show to begin. And you'll see just how long I was standing there waiting <laughs> for the music to come in, and then what happened. <laughs>
show this guy. It's the music first. It's the music. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance Sofa. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show. In all that confusion now over how we are starting. Hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, and, and apparently the show here is according to the poster for the venue is called Lord of the Dance Sofa. Which um, makes it quite hard for me to continue because the first routine's all about why it's called that. I mean, it's obviously here in Portsmouth. I, um, I, uh, I love this town. I came here when I was uh, working in... This is just for you. To, um, this is, the show hasn't started yet. I came here to see HMS Victory when I was... Uh, I brought some foreign students. I was working in a language school in Oxford in about 1989. Uh, and the reason I love your city so much is because I was told there was no student rates for the HMS Victory, and so everyone paid me full price. And then when I got to the HMS Victory, they said, is that students? And I went, yeah. And I made 50 pounds. Well, for 50, it was 99p. They'd all saved 99p. It would have been too complicated to give them that money back. So. Oh, yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, the show's called Lord of the Dance Settee. I changed the title. Uh, it wasn't really working. So, yeah, that was all my fault, really, for not... I'd been quite lackadaisical, as I hope to say, before the show, and not run it. I'd, I'd assumed they'd understood it. Uh, but it led to that 40 seconds, I think, of dead air there, which is always a weird way to start the show. But luckily, the audience were really up for it. This was a really fun gig. It wasn't my fault that the t poster was wrong, but it was quite amusing that they put uh, the wrong name on the poster. Yes, oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like Lord of the Dance Sofa. It can't matter that much, can it? Um, and... Uh, yeah, well, then again, another true story from my past there as well, as I loosened up a bit, and which I like to do at the beginning. If I can keep it loose at the beginning, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, as you saw in Worthing. Uh, but uh, the audience here were really up for it and lots of fun. As you can see from this clip from the beginning of the second half, where they'd left me some presents on stage, uh, and I'd been following on Twitter the news that uh, a group of people had uh, not been able to come to the show because one of them was taken to hospital. So uh, I... I had found out that the guy was all right before I decided to start discussing it, but we discussed that also at the beginning of the second half in a bit that's quite good fun. That's a good job he's got there. So, yeah, you brought me along some uh, Kinder Egg toys. <laughs> uh, the the uh, crazy crocos. Oh, is it this? Oh, no. She's vanished, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, did you bring these for me, these crazy crocos? <laughs> That's yeah, very nice. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's very nice. And it's one Sharky Barber. From, <laughs> they're probably worth a lot of money, those. I'm not going to... I'll leave them. You're not going to give them to me as a gift, are you? Just, yeah. well, I can keep them. He's got, it even got his Marilyn Croco there. Is it the entire set? That was the hardest one to get. That's Marilyn Croco there. <laughs> not, don't, you don't know about Kinder Egg Toys from the mid-1990s? <laughs> I was a lot younger in 1995, so uh, it was acceptable. And one Sharky Barber. Which Sharky Barber is that? No idea. You. <laughs> and you're... <laughs> I'll put... You were three when they came. All right, don't make me feel. I was. Uh, you were born in the 1990s. 
<laughs> I don't know if I can go on. And uh, your friend is in uh, intensive in uh, the accident and emergency, A&E. Yeah. 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 Because what, what, uh, now you've said he's all right, I can feel I can talk about it. But... He's a big ginger idiot. He's a big ginger idiot. <laughs> that's, not, that's not enough to go to A&E, though, is it? <laughs> I don't think there's anything they can do about it. Go to a hairdresser's, maybe. That's about all you can really do with it. What happened? I think he had anaphylactic shock. He had anaphylactic shock. <laughs> what did he... What, what? I don't know, he threw up, and then apparently our other friend just sat next to him in A&E watching yeah. him shit next to the Japanese man. Watching him shit in, in waiting in the waiting room. <laughs> did they not have an, an extra Japanese man? Was that, was that part of it? Is the Japanese man paid to, for that service? <laughs> yeah. So is he good? I like the fact you've come along to see the show anyway. You've given away, did you give away his tickets? You gave away his shot to Barber. Did you? Oh, you gave the They will come in. That's doubled my audience, eh? those all those. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear you saw it. Did he eat a peanut? Is that what happened? We don't know. He eats a lot. He's a big ginger idiot. I know, he's probably died while we're doing this. That's at the end. If he dies, could you say, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. Just I'll go. And then we'll, we'll do like a minute silence for him. I was going, it's a shame we called him a but he's not really a big ginger idiot. He was a good man. So that was a very lively crowd, and again, a couple of hundred people in, which is satisfying. So uh, this bit of the get, this bit of the tour was a bit more fun than last week's. And I should say, you know, the, the, those bits I play where often I am talking before a gig, and you're always a little bit reserved and a little bit down, and you know you've, you've been keeping quiet for a little while. So often the bits where I sound in these things like I'm a bit depressed. Uh, I'm not that depressed. I've been really enjoying this tour, but you just get nervous and a little bit in, in, ter, internalised, I suppose. So don't worry about those things. But anyway, uh, those gigs were all lots of fun, uh, mainly down in the same sort of road, down the A3. Down, but I came home every night from each one. It was slightly tiring, but we got through it. Um, and uh, so I'll tell you about the gigs coming up. We have, this might come out in time to tell you on the 10th of May... The, I'm playing in Peterborough at the Peterborough Quay and there's lots of tickets left for that uh, it leads tonight guys I'm recording this I don't think you'll get in time to but that's I think pretty much sold out anyway uh, then the 14th and 15th of May I am at the Bloomsbury Theatre it'll be terrific if you live in London and wanted to come down and see especially the 15th of May but there are lots of tickets for the 14th as well uh, and then there's a, just a few more handful, handful more gigs to come Wrexham on the 18th of May Sun Coldfield on the 19th of May though that's been sold out for a long time you can check with the venue to see if there are any returns Taunton on the 22nd of May Swindon on the 23rd Borden on the 28th of May Redhill on the 29th Southport on the 30th of May uh, and then in June just a few gigs Eastbourne on the 6th of June Bridport on the 11th of June which I didn't know I was doing um, the 20th of June I'm in Ulverston and the 30th of June Hebden Bridge there's also some gigs at the Udderbelly coming up which are doing best ofs on the 25th of June and the 2nd of July and then I'll be starting work on my new show and the long run of shows at the Leicester Square Theatre starting on the 7th of August every weekend on Friday and Saturday I'll be doing all of my old shows, starting with uh, Christ on a Bike and Talking Cock, and then working right through, and then on the 12th of September, a brand new show called Happy Now. So there are, go to the Leicester Square Theatre website, there are deals there if you want to buy tickets to see all of those, and you can get a handmade t-shirt if you come and see all of them. It's only £100 to see 18 hours of stand-up, uh, but you could come and see one or two of them, or none of them if you want, you don't have to come to any. But let's 
Just talk about Lord of the Dance Eti. If you want to check on any of those details, go to richherring.com slash gigs or richherring.com slash L-O-T-D-S slash tour. You can find out where I'm coming. Very few chances now to see this show. Um, and I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's come. I'm pretty sure uh, I'll have made enough money to have made it worthwhile to pay off the rest of my Edinburgh debt and also have some money to keep my family alive. So thank you, it was all appreciated. There is also Kickstarter going uh, for a video versions of Rich Tang's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. So if you're a fan of that and would like to see the videos keep going, we need about another 10,000 pounds, but I think we're just about gonna get there, but we could do with you chucking in a couple of quid if you enjoy those podcasts. There's 18 of them coming up uh, with guests, including Bob Mortimer on the 1st of June, Emma Kennedy on the 8th of June, um, we've got Robin Ince and Mark Watson and Limmy on the 27th of July, uh, which is nearly sold out. So get to the, again to the Leicester Square Theatre website if you want to come and see those. But if you want to see them on video, then just go and bung us a couple of quid at the Kickstarter. Just put Richard Herring into the Kickstarter search engine and you will find that. Thanks so much for all your support. I massively appreciate it. Uh, I'm very happy to keep giving out everything for free as long as you uh, can keep coming to gigs, uh, and uh, as some of you do. And if you can't afford to give any money or any or pay to come and see the shows, then um, don't worry. Do keep enjoying all this for free. If you really can't afford to come and see the show, and there's a, the show's coming to your town, do tweet me and ask me about that because I will often give away a few tickets to people who really need them. Don't only do that if you uh, really genuinely can't afford to come and. I would really like to come. I can give away a few tickets at each gig to people who need them. So um, I'm quite a nice guy, aren't I, when it comes down to it. So there we go. That is that second week of April dealt with. <laughs> See, I don't know how many more of these I could squeeze out. Uh, I'm surprised we've managed to get this long. Uh, next week, I guess we'll be looking at Harlow, which was a lot of fun. Bristol, Monmouth. Let's see if we can get down. I don't know. There's a, actually, there was, a, there was a few days where I didn't do anything. So, yeah, actually, that gets us nearly back up. I could do that one, and then then I could do this week and the next one, and then maybe just wrap up the, the last few in the last one. And if, again, remember, if you can't uh, come to see the show, of course, the DVD that I'm recording on the 15th of May at the Bloomsbury Theatre will be available from gofasterstripe.com, as all of my other DVDs are, uh, and uh, also a few books. So crack down there if you want to catch up on some of those old shows if you can't get to the Square Theatre to see them in August and September. You're not listening anymore. You know this is all just promotional guff at the end. So uh, you're clever and you've stopped listening. Uh, so I will now do a joke for you, for the people who've listened. Knock, knock. Who's there? Doctor. Doctor Who. You got it. Bye. See you next time on Lord of the Dance Eti. <laughs>